With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and a special welcome to the callers and chatters to the show tonight. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. Well, tonight's show is entitled, They Had Names. African-Americans in Early Liberty County, Georgia Records. And my guest tonight is Stacy Ashmore-Cole. Now, Stacy retired from the Federal Civil Service in 2014 in Brunswick, Georgia. And then she began researching her family history, a hobby that quickly turned into an obsession. And I think all of you probably know what that means. Well, she discovered that her paternal ancestors were all from the Georgia counties of Liberty, Dooley, and Wilcox. She has since become secretary of the Liberty County's Midway Museum Board of Governors and president of the Coastal Georgia Genealogical Society. Now, combining an interest in social media with the love of genealogy and history, she developed the Midway Museum Coastal Georgia Genealogical Society and her own theyhadnames.net web pages. And so we're going to learn all about theyhadnames.net tonight. So let me just give a warm welcome to Stacy Ashmore Cole to Ancestors Footprints. Welcome, Stacy. Thank you, Bernice. I'm so happy to be here. Yours is one of my favorite podcasts, so I'm really just thrilled to be on it. Well, I am thrilled to have you, and let's just get to your topic. So what got you interested in finding 
Enslaved Individuals in Liberty County, Georgia Records? Well, really what happened was, as you said, I retired in 2014, and in 2017 my sister's ancestry account auto-renewed, and she didn't have time for it, so she suggested that I take it over. And I just discovered that I loved researching family history. I really liked putting the pieces together and finding the stories behind the, the names and the dates. And uh, I found, I thought my uh, father's paternal side was from Brunswick, Georgia, but I found actually they're from Liberty County going back to the 1750s. Liberty County, Georgia, is about an hour north of me. And so I started focusing on that because it was so close. And uh, as I researched, I started reaching out to to cousins. Um, I grew up not really knowing much family. My family moved a lot, and I knew my close relatives but not cousins. So as I reached out to them, they were so generous, and they started passing along documents that they had found during their doing their research. And one of them gave me an abstract of an 1841 will that my fourth great-grandfather, John Ashmore, had written in Liberty County. He didn't die until 1849. And the abstract referred to enslaved people. And I, I just really wanted to find that will. So through an odd series of uh, coincidences, I wound up meeting a cousin who gave me a copy of the will before I had to go to the courthouse and find it, and it mentioned 11 enslaved people by name, and uh, basically he divvied them up to his um, his uh, children, and that just really struck me. I uh, It really kind of stopped my research, and even though intellectually I knew that I was probably the descendant of slave owners because all of my father's um, uh, ancestors were from Georgia. Uh, seeing the names uh, had uh, a real emotional impact on me. And I just stopped while I thought about what to do, and I really wanted to know what happened to those people. I, I guess in an odd sort of way, I wanted to know if they had were okay, if their descendants were okay. So I started researching, and for anybody who finds themselves in that same situation, here's what I did. I um, thought first I would check the 1870 census and see if any of them had taken the surname Ashmore. And at the time, I didn't know that it actually wasn't very common in Liberty County, I don't know about other places, for former enslaved people to take the surname of their last enslaver. Um, but I got lucky, and one of the 11 did. Um, his name was Toby Ashmore. And um, I started researching him, and I actually found quite a bit in the records on Ancestry.com. Um, he was in the 1870 census with his wife and three children. I found that he died in 1877, and I found probate documents. He owned 12 acres of land. He had an ox and a wagon, and he had had three more chil or two more children um, since the 1870 census. And then I found, I was fortunate that the Freedmen's Bank records had been digitized and indexed. And I found um, two men who were also from the will, Andrew Law and Sandy Maybank. And they had put in their Freedmen's Bank records all their siblings and their parents. And through that, I found Toby was one of their siblings. And I found that of the 11 people mentioned in the will, eight of them were a family. Sibby was the mother, and then her seven children were um, eight of the 11 people. 
And then I started looking through the records that my cousins had given me, and I found a reference in an 1878 letter to um, Toby Ashmore's death, and I found church records, a church that my ancestors had attended, um, and Toby had gone there too, and I found that he was baptized there in 1832. And so I started putting together a narrative of his life, and I wanted to pass it along. It didn't seem right to keep it to myself. So uh, I started trying to build his tree, and I did that. But, of course, you end up with a lot of people, descendants, and, and how do you contact them? So what I did was I looked on Ancestry to see if anybody had put him as their um, ancestor because I figured they could find him as well as I could in the 1870s records. So um, I did find five people and I contacted them. I sent them messages on Ancestry, and um, that's basically how I got started after I got uh, in contact with them, with the ones who responded. Um, I just realized that I wanted um, other people to be able to have the same experience that I had had finding my ancestors. It really just um, grounded me, and I really enjoyed um, knowing that I was part of a family and a place. And uh, it just made me um, mad that the published records of all of these documents um, had not included um, the names of the enslaved people. So I thought, well, I'm just going to do it. And so you did. So when you <laughs> contacted the five descendants, what was their reaction to the fact that you had identified bank records, you saw uh, information about the church, you had the will, you discovered that most of the people were actually family members. How did they respond to you? It was funny because I think we've all had the experience of reaching out to people on Ancestry, and you don't necessarily uh, either get responses or get the responses you expect. And so it started out that way. Two of the people have never responded, and I, I feel sad about that because I would like to get the information to them. Uh, one wrote me, and we corresponded a little bit, and then you know that was that was enough for her. Um, and then uh, one one didn't write back, but there's a story behind that. But then an, another man who did, Charlie, he wrote me that he said, I'm confused. I'm just really confused because I I knew these people. I know these names, and yet what you're saying doesn't make sense to me. And I, honestly, I, I was mortified <laughs> because I thought – here I, you know, I've done something wrong in my research. You know, I was fairly new at, at family um, history research. And what it turned out was that just like my family, names got reused down the generations. And so it oh, sounded to I him see. like I was saying his grandfather was married to his great aunt. <laughs> And so naturally that would be confusing. So, um, and uh, actually, I don't know if he's listening, but uh, I've never told him that that it, it almost stopped me from continuing the research because I, I really was just embarrassed um, that I might have done it wrong. But we started corresponding, and that relationship has um, just been such a joy to me. Um, we we started off just talking on Facebook and exchanging emails, and then. Um, one day I got a phone call, 
said, I'm down about an hour south of you visiting my sister. Can you come down and um, meet us? And so I got in the car the next morning, went down and had breakfast with him and his sister and um, their spouses. And it was just such an emotional experience. Um, They were so warm and generous and friendly. And um, we just, I, I don't know, it just felt like family. Um, which uh, actually I've got more to say about that later. Um, and then the other person, I wrote him in July of 2017, and he wrote back in the summer of 2018 to say that he had had a friend over and had been telling him how wonderful Ancestry was and decided to show him. So he logged in, and there was my message, uh, hi, Tim, if you're listening, with um, all the information taking his family back to the late 1700s. Um, and so that it, it's just been a, a wonderful experience, and it has kept me going because I see um, what it has meant to them to have that family information, and I just want to make sure that um, other people can have that. Well, I want you to continue to talk about the documents and give us you know, some examples and some interesting stories that you found. But before you go into that, tell us, you know, how difficult was it for you just to get your website started? And so it is not difficult at all, and I want everybody to know that. Um, what happened is I, I, my first decision was uh, what type of website, and it occurred to me that basically what I'm doing is a database. Um, all of the documents are individual records in the database. And a blog is really a simple database because you can put a search term in and it'll pull up all the blog posts that have that search term in it. And so for what I'm doing, the blog posts are basically the records. I just do them as individual blog posts. So then the decision is... um, Am I going to pay to have a hosted website, or am I going to have a free one? And I started out with a free one mainly because I wanted to make sure that if something happened to me and I wasn't able to continue paying the fees for the website, that the information would continue to stay out there. Um, So I I chose uh, WordPress.com, which is a Mm -hmm. free blogging site, and they want you to blog, so they make it easy. Um, It's easy to learn to set it up, and if you have any trouble with it, there's plenty of YouTube videos out there. So I started out that way, and then I decided that I wanted to learn more about um, websites, and I also got a wonderful document that fit better into a spreadsheet than into a blog post, and I wanted to be able to do it as a sortable spreadsheet. So I watched YouTube videos, and uh, I bought a self-hosted website, which for three I paid for it three years up front, and so it's two seven two dollars and seventy five cents a month. So that that's not very much at all. I use a free page builder, they call it, um, to construct the website. Uh, it's called Elementor, and it's super easy to use. Uh, I ended up paying for an upgrade because I do other websites too, and I can use it on them. And I just wanted to be able to do some more, uh, learn learn some more more things. So, uh, and then the domain name once I switched to a paid website is about ten dollars a year. So really, I have not put very much into it, and someone could do this for no money at all. 
Um, and then, of course, um, it, it's always free for the user, and, and that's my intent. Is Of course, it would always be free for the user. Well, that is wonderful. And you said that your website is a database. So let's talk about the documents. Where do the documents you're abstracting in the names come from? I did not realize when I started doing this that there is so much online. Um, you always say to go local, you know, and go to the locality if you can and do the research. And I absolutely believe in that when you're researching your own family. But if you're trying to do something like I am, it's, of course, much easier to <laughs> to uh, be at home and, and do it from there. So the first thing I found out, I... Um, met someone online who let me know that all the probate documents from Liberty County and, in fact, from many counties across the United States have been digitized and are online. They're online at Ancestry.com, but I use the ones at FamilySearch.org because that way I provide a link for every document so people can see the original, and, that's, and FamilySearch.org is free. So I, I, of course, want the entire experience to be free for anybody, any users. So I started out looking at the probate documents, and I ended up, I made a list of them all. And so that abstract I mentioned of that will, it, um, in 1964, there was a Georgia genealogist named Judge Folks Huxford, and he went to the Liberty County Courthouse, and he sat there, and he abstracted every single will from about 1786 to 1850. And he very carefully put in the names of basically every white person that was in the will, and he omitted all the names of the enslaved people, um, unless there was something unusual about the bequest. So I decided to start with that. I thought, I will take those abstracts. Um, he published them in his uh, magazine, the Georgia Genealogical Magazine. And um, I took those to start with. The wills were online, so I was able to go through them pretty quickly and abstra uh, extract the African-American names. And so I put the abstract up and then the African-American names that were omitted from the original abstract. Um, and then I started on the estate inventories, and I got a ways into those <laughs> and found out I had been bemoaning the fact that um, uh, deeds were not online because, of course, the deeds from before the Civil War include bills of sale for enslaved people. Um, they, you know, of course, include deeds of gift, marriage settlements, um, all kinds of interesting things, and I just really wanted those to be online. And I found out they've been online for decades, but they're not um, indexed, so they're not searchable, and they're actually a little bit hard to find. Um, I, I had to really, uh, once I found out they were there, I, I really had to kind of search around to find them. So I started doing those, and then I found out the... Um, there's a church in um, Liberty County. Liberty County has an extremely rich history um, dating from the 1750s. And um, there's a church called the Midway Congregational Church that was established in 1756 um, and uh, disbanded basically in 1867. And there are quarterly session records um, 
from that entire time online. And from 1756, there were both black and white members. So the, the session records include um, enslaved people, and actually there were free uh, African-Americans part of the church as well. So um, I found those, and I started doing those. And then, hold on one um, second. It, I want okay. I, hold on one second. I want to go back. You said you found quarterly session records at what church? The Midway Congregational Church. Okay, so Midway Congregational. Yes, can I tell you a sure. little bit about the history of Liberty County? Sure. Because um, it has an extremely rich history. It's one of the oldest counties in Georgia. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it is I don't hear very much about it on um, uh, on podcasts and, and blogs. And it's an extremely interesting place. Um, in the 1750s, after slavery became legal in Georgia, there was a group of uh, rice planters in South Carolina who moved there, um, and they were an unusual people in that they were descended from a group of English Puritans who had traveled from England to Massachusetts in 1630 and had established a colony they called uh, a town they called Dorchester. And they moved in about 1695, they moved down to South Carolina as a group, um, and by that time they had become Congregationalists, and they established an, another town they called Dorchester. And when slavery became legal in Georgia, they uh, decided to move there. Their land was becoming exhausted, and it was about 71 white families, and they brought about 1,500 enslaved people. And the enslaved people built the rice plantations um when the family when the uh, when they all moved there they established a church called the Midway Congregational Church in 1756 um it that building was burned during the revolutionary war but the records were saved um they met quarterly and they had uh they uh talked about new memberships and discipline cases and people moving to other churches. So they saved the records. The church was rebuilt um, in 1792, and that church is still standing, uh, which is an amazing thing. It was occupied by the Union Army in the Civil War, but the building is still there. And the Midway Museum that I'm on the board of is next to the church. Um, didn't know that the records were available online. Uh, it was just actually a very uh, odd search I was doing. But they're there. They're not only online, um, but in uh, a WPA worker in the 1930s transcribed them, um, and so the typed transcript is online as well. So there's just all kinds of things on FamilySearch.org that you wouldn't know are there because it's not readily apparent. So those are well, the Well, you have a question. Here. Yes, there's a question coming out of the chat room. Now, you mentioned okay. that the enslaved also were members of the Midway Congregational Church. Did they uh, do the session, the quarterly session records show that they attended services together? So I need to say that I am not a historian, and I'm particularly not a historian of Liberty County. There are a lot of people who are a lot more qualified to talk about this, and I hope that uh, if some of them are listening and I say something wrong, they'll call in and correct me. But um, I believe what happened was at the beginning, I think they had separate services, um, but a slave gallery was built 
Um, and so I have to assume that they attended services at the same time because of the uh, the gallery. Um, but I believe it changed over time. Right. If, if so someone you knows better, and I think there is record? someone out there who knows better, go ahead. No, I was just going to say you you mentioned that there's so many records on Family Search. Was this an accidental find, or were you actually just going through Liberty uh, County, Georgia, and you came upon this particular set of, of uh, records? That's a really good question, because what I found is that searching for Liberty County, Georgia, did not find me all these records. Um, I found that you have to use a variety of searches, and even with the searches, what happened was um, there's a wonderful African-American genealogist in Liberty County named Rose Mullis, and she had asked if I would transcribe her ancestor's Southern Claims Commission um, record. And when I did, I thought, well, I'm just going to search on his name, which was Windsor Stevens, and, and see what's out there. And there was a, a baptism record from 1812 in the name Windsor Stevens. And I thought, well, I don't think that's possible. And so I started clicking on it, and I still don't know how that name happened to be there, but um, when I clicked through, I ended up eventually on the church records. So just searching for the church records did not find me that. I got you. Okay. So tell us about some of the other documents you're abstracting the names from. So uh, one of the ones is just, uh, to me, it's, it's the most amazing document. There's a, a professor at Columbia Theological Seminary named Dr. Erskine Clark, and he wrote the book about, about Liberty County. Um, it's called A Dwelling Place, a Plantation Epic, um, and it's so well written that it reads like a novel, even though it's history. And uh, in his book, he mentioned that in 1846, a pastor named Reverend Charles Colcott Jones, who has a, a very interesting story in himself, but uh, he, had, he had a mission to evangelize the African Americans in Liberty County. And in 1846, he did a census of all the African Americans who were members of churches in the 15th District of Liberty County. And in his book, he just mentions the names of the churches and the numbers of people. So I, it was supposed to be at Tulane University, the census, and they couldn't find it for me in the records. So I wrote to him, and he photocopied it, and he sent it to me. It's 1,100 and some names. Wow. I, and so I, I transcribed that. I put it into the – that's the spreadsheet that I mentioned – um, and put it so it has the name of each person, their slave owner's name, which is just genealogical gold, of course, um, which church they attended, and then occasionally some comments about them. So it, it's just wo a wonderful document, and it was so kind of him uh, to send it to me. Um, I, I got to meet him recently, and, and that was such a pleasure. Wow. That is amazing. It really is. To have a document like that from 1846. Right. And you have first and last names? It has the first name um, and then the slave owner's name. Wow. 
Tell us what other records you have. This is really interesting. Um, I've, I've tried to think. Those are mainly the ones, and, and believe me, that's enough. <laughs> I, I, I have um, right now on the site, I have more than 7,200 references to um, African Americans in those records. Um, and I've basically just scratched the surface. I, I, I'm hoping over the next month that I'll have finished all the probate, um, mortgage and deed records, um, church and church records from the um, period from 1855 to 1865, because I'm figuring that will be a great bridge for people who have been able to trace their Liberty County African-American ancestors back to the 1870 census. And uh, I also just found um, another record recently that I think is really going to create that bridge. Um, In Liberty County in the Midway area, there's a a place called the Dorchester Academy um, African-American Museum, um, which is that, that place has some history. Um, from the civil civil rights era as well, but uh, it had a set of displays that were done by Georgia Southern University, and one of them I, I know you'll appreciate this was a list of African Americans with the surnames they took after the Civil War, connected with who was their last slave owner before the Civil War, and to have those together is just uh, uh, incredible because that that's the bridge right there. And so the display said that um Dr. Peggy Hargis had um had done the displays. So I found her email address online and I sent her an email and she wrote back right away with her phone number. And so I got she's retired now but I got a chance I we we chatted for about an hour um and she was just so generous in telling me that she had constructed that from the Southern Claims Commission records. So that is just going to be a wonderful resource to try to put together the information I have on the site with that 1870 census. That is an excellent resource. You know, I was wondering, do you have a, a group of people working with you? And to mention what Dr. Peggy Hargis has done, I mean, I'd love to even have her come on the show to talk about that. Oh, yes, yes. Um, I don't. It's just me, and it's it's kind of needed to be me because I've been working out. Uh, it's kind of <laughs> methodology is kind of a grand word for what I'm doing, but that's essentially what it is, my process. Um, I, I wasn't ready to have anybody uh, do it with me. I've had uh, a volunteer recently, a local friend, and so um, I may start having um, help with it now that I've worked out a process. Um, but uh, no, no, it's. But on the other hand, you could say that I have all kinds of help because there are people that have volunteered, you know, that have helped me find these documents, that have volunteered uh, documents. Um, and I'd like to tell you about one of them. Sure. Um, so I've had, there have just been some amazing coincidences that uh, have really helped me make some breakthroughs in finding records. And one of them was when I first started researching um, my Ashmore family, uh, I found on Find a Grave that there was an Ashmore buried at a church in Liberty County called the Mount Olivet Methodist Church. And so my husband and I went up there, and we were walking around, 
And there wasn't one Ashmore buried there. There were 40 Ashmores buried there. So you you can believe they are all on find a grave now. So we were walking around photographing the grave, and I saw this headstone, uh, a large headstone that was off on its own, and it said it was a Swiss gentleman named Valentine Grest. Um, and I just thought how sad that he was buried there, that he was so far from home, and I thought somebody might be looking for him. So I took the picture and put it on find a grave. And um, a short while later, I got contacted by Amber Stark Hartley, who uh, his wife was her fourth great aunt, and she had been looking for that headstone for years. Um, she lives in Louisiana, so hadn't been able to um, come to Liberty County, and she had called the Historical Society, the museum. Nobody knew where it was. And she started telling me that the most interesting thing about Valentine Grest was that he was a wealthy plantation owner, and he had um, a, a, an enslaved person who um, took the name after the war. She became Susie King Taylor, who is um, the only African-American woman to have written a memoir from her service um, in the Civil War. She was a nurse with the U.S. Colored Troop. Um, and she was an educator after the war, just an amazing person. And so Amber said not only that, but she said, I've just spoken on the phone with this amazing woman who is a historian, public historian. She moved from Atlanta to Liberty County. She felt called there to tell Susie King Taylor's story. And um, she sent me a video um, that it was her name is Hermina Glass Hill, and Hermina had sent her a video of her going to see that headstone um, that I had put on Find a Grave. And so I contacted Hermina, and she has been so generous in um, just sharing her research. And in uh, she and Amber and I have gone back and forth on the things that we've found. And she has just been a dynamo for uh, the Liberty County African-American community and Susie King Taylor. She got the Georgia Historical Society to erect a historical marker to Susie King Taylor. She got her inducted into the Georgia Women of Achievement. So there are so many people that are um, – in Liberty County, and she's uh, one of the most prominent among them that are doing work to uh, to publicize this this really amazing um, county. Well, where is the historical marker located? It is um, what happened at the Midway Congregational Church um, in the period right after the Civil War. I'm laughing because it struck me as kind of funny in the session records. Um, Basically, they kept going through the Civil War. They uh, they had a break as Sherman's uh, troops marched through. And after the Civil War, they tried to keep going with um, disciplining the African-American membership. And about 1867, the African-American membership came to them and said, you know what, we don't want to be part of you anymore. Um, we want our own church. So um, the white members were basically dispersed to other churches by that time. So they leased the church to the African-American membership. And then they moved to their own church up the street, which is the Midway First Presbyterian Church. Um, it has a cemetery across the street, and the historical marker is there. So right in that area, you have 
the, that historical marker. You have the Midway Museum, which tells the story of the planters who came down from um, Dorchester, South Carolina. And then just uh, down the street a little bit, you have the African American Museum at the Dorchester Academy. So, And just to put in a plug for it, it's only four miles off I-95, exit 76. It's a nice day trip from Savannah, if you happen to be in Savannah. Um, it's just a really incredibly interesting area. Well, you have a question coming out of the chat. So what is the largest town in Liberty County? Hinesville is the county seat, um, and Fort Stewart is there. So um, that's that's where the population is. Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break, Stacy, and come right back. Just a quick break, okay? Okay, thank you. Welcome back to Ancestors Footprints. Well, I would like to make two announcements before we continue our discussion with Stacy tonight. Registration is now open for the Midwest African American Genealogy Institute, the only institute focusing exclusively on African American research. The Midwest African American Genealogy Institute is a place where attendees learn, research, and gain the tools needed to become a stellar genealogist and family history researcher. The dates are July 9th through 11th at the Allen County Public Library Genealogy Center in Fort Wayne, Indiana. For further information, you can find more at the Maggie website, and that's www.maagiintitute.org. I am also happy to announce that my new book, Tracing Their Steps, a memoir, is hot off the press. This book is about a journey I took to verify the oral history shared by my grandmother that her grandfather, Peter Clark, owned a lot of land in Marpas, Louisiana. Through painstaking research, through an array of obstacles, I discovered that this land was acquired under the Homestead Act of 1862. This story will take you on a journey to learn how the power of oral history can serve as a guide to capturing a beautiful family story. This book is available on Amazon.com, and signed copies are available from my website. So you have been listening to Stacy Cole. 
Stacy has shared with us information about they had names, African Americans in early Liberty County, Georgia records. So, Stacy, have you started working with the African American genealogists in your community to even gather more data, or are you right now at the point where you're sharing what's available on your website with the community? I'm mainly at the point of sharing what I have. Um, what I wanted to do was build up a large enough um, uh, database of records that it would be useful to people. And I think I'm close to the point where um, where I would really like to start making those connections, um, basically between the people in the 1870 census and uh, and their um, the pre-war. Um, um, stories and I want to know more of the stories. I, I've had uh, some contacts that have just been uh, so interesting. Do we have time for a couple of stories? Of course we have time. Uh, um, I So my second great-grandfather on my deal side, which is another family line, is buried out in um, a small family plot in the woods in McIntosh County, which is next to Liberty County. And I was out there, my husband and I went out to find it, and I we walked out of there, and a black man rode by on a bicycle, and I could see he was looking at us like, what are you doing? Um, so I kind of waved at him, and he stopped, and we were talking. And it turned out his family owned about 300 acres of the land around there. Um, and I found out later they had bought it after the, right after the Civil War from um, uh, their enslaver. And so as we were talking, he mentioned that he had a brother who was an architect in um, Phoenix, Arizona, where my sister lives, and that stuck in my mind. So about two years later, I'm at the Midway Museum, and I'm talking to Midge, one of the docents there, and she mentions that she's been corresponding with a man who's been researching um, his African-American heritage there, and that she had told him about my website, and he had found records that helped him, and I was thrilled, and then she said, and he's so interesting, he's an architect from Phoenix. <laughs> and so we started corresponding. She put me in touch with him, and uh, there's just such a richness in that history there um, of how they were able to buy the land, and they have retained it since that time. Um, and, and so I've been doing some further research. I was at the uh, McIntosh County Courthouse today looking up records for him. Um, and then also um, uh, I was contacted by um, uh, uh, Jackson Brown, from Liberty County, it turns out that um, even though he doesn't live there, um, he goes to the first Afri or he's uh, from the First African Baptist Church there, which is the oldest African American church in Liberty County. And prior to that was uh, the North Newport Baptist Church, which Toby Ashmore, one of the people mentioned in the will, had gone to. And um, he and I have been talking and uh, just amazing stories and history. Um, and so the more contacts I, c I can make, the better. But one thing I've found is, you know, how do you make those contacts? 
So it's right. it's great. I love it when people contact me, and I'm trying to figure out um, how I can make more contacts. Um, that's one of my reasons for wanting to be actually on your show tonight is to I would hate to find out that somebody with Liberty County ancestors had gone through all those records and basically done what I'm doing because they didn't know that it was already available. Right. And, you know, one of the things that I, I'm glad you on so that people will check out your website. So tell us how is your website structured. I know you said you had a database, but tell us, and I put the um, your website, the name of your website in the chat room so that individuals can go take a look at it, but just tell us how you structured it. So database is a kind of a grand word for it because essentially what it is is just a series of blog posts. Um, so I, one thing that's important to do if you're putting together something like that is to come up with a, a structure for it. So each blog post, um, if it's an inventory, I use a certain structure for it. And by that I just mean I have da the data in a certain order, um, in, a, in a certain format. Um, if it's a will, I do it in a certain way, and I've just set up those for myself. But essentially it is just a series of blog posts. So when you go to the front page, there's um, a, a little blurb that tells you, you know, that this is where you come if you're looking for African-American ancestors in Liberty County. And then there's something about what type of records I have. And then I also have a graphic on the front page that shows I broke the time periods up into five-year blocks. And so I've got it color-coded. If it's green, I've done all the records from that period. Uh, so I have... Uh, on one side, I have what type of record it is, and then the time periods across the top. So you can see where I am, and if you're looking for a certain time period that I haven't done yet, you'll know that it, you're not likely to find it there. And then there's uh, the, at the top and the bottom, there's a search bar. So you can put in the, um, the name that you're looking for. Um, unfortunately, of course, for antebellum records, you have to put in a first name. And you're going to find a lot of records that have the first name, of, of course, uh, I'm sure everybody listening to this knows that. Um, but it brings up the records that have that first name at least, so you can look through and start to try to figure out who who the slave owner was likely to have been. Um, one thing about the records is, uh, for example, the estate inventories were often done in a family order, and... Um, you, it doesn't explicitly state that, but you'll see sometimes they include the ages, and you'll see an age of someone she's like the right age to have been the mother, and then right after that will be some children, and then it'll start up with another woman of the right age to have been the mother, and then some children. So you look for those kind of patterns and, and try to put them together. And then there's a menu at the top if you want to browse. It, it has documents. And if you want to browse, say, the wills or the estate inventories um, or the different kinds of records, and that's where it has uh, the church records. So you can jump to, I have the uh, transcribe the records for the Pleasant Grove Church, which was the an early offshoot of the Midway Church, and then the um, spreadsheet for the... Um, uh, I did it in a form of a spreadsheet for the Midway, Midway Congregational Church session records. And then I transcribed the sessions from 1865 to 1867 just because I thought it was so interesting to see how they handled 
the post-war period. And then that 1846 uh, Charles Colcott Jones uh, census of the African-American church goers is on there as well. And then there's a a menu item for, um, as I've been reading books, I've uh, done a bibliography and... um, one thing you don't know when you're looking at books for Liberty County is which of them mention enslaved people. So as I read a book and I put it on the list, I, I say if it mentioned enslaved people so people can decide whether that might be a worthwhile book for them to purchase. And I've put an asterisk beside the ones that I have access to because I'm happy to do lookups. Um, and then any journal articles I've found and then um, – good, uh, useful links. And then I also decided just recently to do a research guide to Liberty County. And so under the research tab, um, there is a, uh, on the left-hand side, as you click on the link, um, it has, say, probate and uh, mortgages and deeds. And the probate and the mortgages and deeds, I actually have um, guides to how to find them on Family Search, and then what to do, what to do once you've found them. And then the others, I have links to all the censuses, um, and then a number of links to court records and things as I find them. And then there's an about page that has, um, a, a, you know, a frequently asked questions section, and then something about me. I originally didn't have anything about me about on the site because it's not about me. Um, but then I figured um, people might want to know. They might want to know the motivation of the person behind the site, so I decided to put something down there. And it also has contact information, and I don't get contacted very often from the site, so I am really thrilled when someone does contact me. Well, that's wonderful. Well, you have a caller. There's a caller, uh, area code 404. Do you have a question or a comment? You're live. Yes. Yes, I have a comment. My name is Hermina Glass-Hill, and I am a friend of Stacy. I'm a public historian and the executive director of the Susie King-Taylor Institute, and I want to tell Stacy she's doing a fantastic job in uh, talking about this incredible, deeply rich history of Liberty County that I have come to uh, love and claim as my own, uh, my very own new hometown and uh, so uh, great job, Stacey, great job. Oh, Hermina, I'm just so thrilled you, you called in. And I would like to know, do you know the answer about whether or not the enslaved people worshipped at the same time at the Midway Church? I, believe, so, you answered, I believe you answered correctly that they worshipped simultaneously with their slave masters uh, in the slave gallery, which is located on the second floor of the the sanctuary, the the architecture of that church um, uh, gives you um, uh, the, gives you cause to believe that they do they did worship at the same time uh, at that particular church. Stacy, I don't know if you you, you can uh, talk about that. Is that they uh, rented pews? They paid their pew dues yes. or pew costs. Uh, uh, one of the comments that I have about this incredible history that you have stirred up and brought to uh, our attention is uh, um, when you talked about the session records. The session records is so rich with 
these uh, these uh, aspects of our enslaved ancestors' lives uh, that somebody wanted to divorce somebody and they were excommunicated from the church or, you know, if you, if you forgive, then you can come back to church. And it's very interesting because we see these ways that uh, the uh, European enslavers were um, controlling almost every aspect of their lives, uh, even, yes. their, uh, even their faith and their religion, uh, which I will say uh, actually uh, the tr- their true religion really paralleled what was happening at the church because in the quarters they were – practicing and worshiping God the way that they wanted to. But those session records, uh, Ms. Rose, who's listening, I've called her and said, you listening to Stacey? Um, but Ms. <laughs> Rose will attest, she, she has a thing called uh, uh, when, when, when one person leaves another, he quit her or she quit him. So they quit <laughs> each other and they went to a new partner, which, which tells a lot about the kind of, of um, the the latitude of freedom that they had within the quarters in their own private lives that they you know they could you know our enslaved ancestors had a sense of you know if I don't want to be with this person I can be with another person but the session records are so rich with these interpersonal stories between husbands and wives and, and husbands and wives and slave masters and their children and their relationship to the church. And when you talked about uh, General Kilpatrick coming to uh, of, of Sherm, during Sherman's march to the sea, marching into Liberty County, and uh, we, you know he essentially just took over took over the place, and all the slaves, you know, they, you know they essentially were free at that point because most of the uh, uh, slave owners were absentee at that point. So the slaves, uh, so they were emancipated by that time. So the free people were really in charge of the church. And um, it's really interesting to see that uh, these people were managing a church. They were managing this church. So when these absentee landowners returned after taking their oath of loyalty uh, to the uh, United States, they come back to their properties and uh, the church, and they find that, you know, there are all these black people that are in this church, running this church, taking take care of this church. And, you know, they're giving communion and they're taking uh, uh, the chalice and uh, the font and they're doing all kinds of things. But it's essentially, that church was essentially slave, uh, uh, saved because the enslaved individuals or the freed people at that point uh, had taken care and they were stewards of this church of which they had ownership of because they too were members of that church. Yes, well, I have a question though. Who was writing the, the session records? I mean, if the owners, I mean, they were gone, who was actually keeping the the minutes? There were the, um, the white, um, I'm trying to think of the right word, uh, but essentially like deacons um, who mm-hmm. conducted the sessions. Um, they, uh, they were older, I think, and they stayed in the county. Um, they right. removed to one of the other churches um, for uh, at least one of the sessions. But uh, they essentially kept going. And, and Hermina's right, the session records give such context um, to people's lives. And what's really funny is that so many of the like discipline cases 
um, they just were focused so much on the African-Americans' lives that the session records are much richer for African-Americans to look at their history than they are for the white members of the church because they just didn't yeah. mention them as often. And another thing that was really interesting in the session records was they appointed um, black um, enslaved people to perform marriages among the enslaved people. And at one point they lost... Um, they lost the records of who they had appointed, so they had to go back and appoint, reappoint people to do it. Um, and it just has those little revealing um, in, instances that are just so interesting. Yeah. So where are the, the session records right now? I mean, you, you mentioned them, but they've all I been digitized? They've, they have been digitized. I believe um, that the originals are in a bank vault in Hinesville, yes. from what somebody told me. Um, so I really wasn't expecting to get to see them, um, except that I found that they were digitized a long time ago and put online. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that is really interesting. And you sound so enthusiastic and so into this, and, it, and it's wonderful just to <laughs> to, <laughs> to hear hear you share the uh, the stories. So you know, I'm just really happy to hear that these records are available. I'm going to go and take a look, and I don't have anybody in Liberty County, but I certainly <laughs> want to read those records. Because you're right, I mean, it does give you an idea of what was happening in the lives of the enslaved African Americans. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, oh, wow. And these records didn't burn. No, the um, during the Revolutionary War, the, the um, church was burned. But during the um, Civil War, the Union troops occupied, um, they... They used the church and they used the cemetery, unfortunately, to because it has a brick wall around it. Um, they used it to house their animals, and so they damaged um, some of the headstones, and um, I think they ate some of the wooden headstones. But there, there, it's a beautiful cemetery. There are still a lot of, of graves there um, with beautiful headstones. Okay. And we have a, another question. How has the local community responded to your your website and your findings? You know, I actually don't know how many of them um, know about it. Um, it. It's funny, with all the social media, it's it's really hard still to publicize things because people, if they're not on the particular social media groups that you're using, aren't going to find out about them. So Liberty, there's a Liberty County Historical Society, which right now is um, mostly a Facebook group. And so I've posted about it there. And um, I have a Facebook page um, that's uh, called, uh, I should know what it's called. It's, they had names, um, uh, African Americans in Early Liberty County Records, and I post what I'm doing there. And then I'm on Twitter, um, at they had names one, and I post about it there. Um, but so there's, I think there's basically a handful of people um, that uh, have contacted me or that I've contacted that know about it. And, of course, I'd like to increase that number. Right. And in, in these little small towns, they may not even be online. 
that's so what, certainly that's what other avenues the, do you have to communicate with the the people in the community to let them know that this valuable resource is out there for them um that's a really good question i'm hoping that as i meet people um uh you know certainly like hermina and rose mollis and jackson brown and people that either live in the community or come to the community a lot that they will spread the word Okay. Well, I want to thank you and Hermina for coming on tonight with your enthusiasm and sharing this valuable resource with with us tonight. And just to find out, do you have any parting words before we close out the show? I just want to encourage anybody that's interested in doing this to do it. You can pick a county. Um, you know, I would be happy to help anybody find the county records and to, um, if anybody wants to contact me, even to help them with um, knowing how to set up a blog. But you can set up a free blog and just start doing this with um, county records that you're interested in. And it will not only help the people that um, whose descendants these um, people you're blogging about are, but it will enrich your life in ways that you couldn't begin to imagine when you start out doing it, which is what has happened to me. Right. And then there's one more question. Uh, do you ever get requests from people who are researching in the county uh, requesting your assistance? Um, only a couple of times so far, but I, I would welcome that. Um, and, of course, again, like you always say, there's only so much you can do online, so I can provide the online records, but um, the research that they can do by coming to the county and meeting people, um, because there are so many stories um, that are not in the records. Well, Stacy, I want to just thank you for sharing. I want to call this your labor of love with us tonight. <laughs> And, you know, I appreciate the questions and the comments from the caller and the chatters, the chat room. And everybody, please remember, your ancestors left footprints. And you should follow those clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records. I mean, let's look at what Stacy has just done. And try looking at, you know, they had names. African Americans in early Liberty County, Georgia records. Just imagine if everyone would take a county and do the same thing, and you found those records. So also, you know, just continue to, to do your research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the Research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page and also remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji. And congratulations to Angela Walton Raji. She has just published her book. And so we want everyone to read that book. I am so excited because I have gone through her book and you can find it on Amazon. But we know how. Uh, Angela also has this labor of love, and she's dealing with the freedmen of the frontier. So please check out her new book. And also watch for the Black Progen Live with host Nika Soul-Smith. You, you don't want to miss next week. 
So thank you so much for joining Ancestors Footprints Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I look forward to all of you joining me next week. Good night, everyone. Good night, Stacy. Good night, Bernice. Thank you. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 